Welcome to the Johns Hopkins University Press Podcast. I'm Mary Alice Yeski with the Hopkins Press Journals Division. Joining us this week is Dr. Frieden Bluma Orr, Associate Professor of Sociology at Tufts University. Dr. Bluma Orr is the author of Black Boys Apart, Racial Uplift and Respectability in All-Male Public Schools from the University of Minnesota Press. He was the 2018 recipient of the Tufts University Recognition of Undergraduate Teaching Excellence Award, a 2013 recipient of the Tufts Teaching with Technology Award, and a 2013 faculty fellow with the Tufts Center for the Enhancement of Learning and Teaching. He is a book review editor for Signs, Journal of Women in Culture and Society, is an associate editor of the Critical Perspectives on Youth book series with NYU Press, and an editorial advisory board member for the Critical Studies in Gender and Sexuality in Education book series with Routledge Press. Dr. Bluma Orr was guest editor for the most recent issue of the Journal of the History of Childhood and Youth, a special issue commemorating the 100th anniversary of the groundbreaking children's magazine, The Brownies Book. Thank you so much for joining us today, Frieden. The first question I'd like to ask our guests is, what is your academic origin story? Sure. Um, well, first, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's, it's a real pleasure to be um, taking part in this conversation. Um, yeah, that's a, a terrific question. I, I think I got into sociology um, through anthropology. I actually like to tell people that um, while I'm a, a sociologist um, by training, um, I'm still a, a bleeding heart anthropologist. And so I majored in anthropology in college um, and attended a small liberal arts college uh, where sociology and anthropology were in the same department. And so it was called the Department of Anthropology and Sociology. Um, and so through coursework in anthropology, you know, got to know sociology students and majors and got to see just the really interesting um, kind of affinities between the two, uh, between the two disciplines. Um, thought at some point I would actually, uh, you know, grow up to become an archaeologist and that didn't quite work out. Um, and after college, I uh, worked um, uh, as a sixth grade public school teacher oh. in Philadelphia with Teach for America. Um, and uh, it was there that I think I began to sort of sharpen my interests in the study of the social world, um, the human condition, and, you know, as those issues played out around, you know, trying to understand uh, power and equality, access and opportunity in urban edu education. Mm. Um, decided to pursue a PhD in sociology, and that's how I got into sociology. Um, and I now uh, teach courses in sociology and education. Um, and while uh, doing my graduate work, kind of transitioned a bit from studying um, issues uh, strictly around uh, race and racism uh, to the ways that those issues interface with, uh, with gender, um, gender inequality, masculinity, and feminism, mm. uh, which led me to the topic of my, uh, my dissertation in my first book, which was on um, why uh, communities uh, that have uh, you know, historically been very underserved and historically uh, you know, predominantly African-American um, have turned to uh, all boys schooling to sort of, uh, you know, solve a perceived, uh, you know, set of issues facing their young men. Hmm. Um, and then uh, through that work, uh, it sort of uh, became reintroduced to uh, the writings of W.E.B. Du Bois, which led me down to um, the path uh, for this project on the Brownies book. 
Excellent. Which is a perfect segue for my next question. Um, because I, and I will fully admit that until I started working at JHU press, I had, I think I, I think I vaguely may have heard reference to the Brownies book, but just in the last year and a half, I've learned so much about it from this journal and from a couple other journals and papers and talking to other scholars about it. And it's just so fascinating, but in the interest of full disclosure and knowing that some of our listeners might not know, can you tell us a little bit about, um, what the Brownies book is, was, um, and who created it and who was it for? Sure. Um, yeah, I, well, first, I thank you for sharing that with me. I will say, too, in the, you know, in full disclosure that um, before a few years ago, I had heard of it, but had certainly never, you know, um, uh, read the Brownies book before. Um, and so the Brownies book is just this extraordinary publication. And I will say I'm so happy to hear that you've had a chance now to, to see it and um you know, given that the magazine is uh, celebrating its 100 year anniversary. So it ran uh, for 24 issues between 1920 and 1921. Um, and it was founded by um, uh, this, just this unbelievably talented uh, team comprised of uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, um, who was the uh, editor of um, uh, the Crisis Magazine, the official organ of the NAACP. Um, Augustus Granville Dill, who served uh, as business manager for uh, the magazine, and the uh, just the extraordinary uh, uh, Jesse Redmond Fawcett, who was the literary editor, and this trio put together um, this just uh, groundbreaking periodical uh, focusing on um, uh, the needs, uh, desires, uh, talents, accomplishments of, of Black children. Um, and the periodical grew out of uh, what uh, the team saw as, I think, sort of an absence of, of this very thing, which was, you know, a dedicated space to celebrating the, the lives and accomplishments of Black youth. Um, and it came uh, about 10 years after the NAACP was founded. Um, and Du Bois, um, as part of his work with the Crisis Magazine, would occasionally publish uh, what were called uh, numbers issues, which uh, were dedicated to special topics mm. um, on labor, for example, but also including uh, uh, children and Black children. Mm -hmm. And um, in 1920, uh, Du Bois, uh, uh, Fawcett and Dill really saw just a great need um, um, in the wake of the Spanish flu, Du Bois' own sort of pandemic moment. Um, uh, a lot of really uh, just awful, um, you know, things happening around the country and saw it really as an urgent need to create this magazine, uh, which is full of games and stories, polished, just extraordinary photos of Black children, images of Black uh, kids playing, uh, fiction and nonfiction, just a menagerie of, of really great things, just, you know, 24 issues that really can't be, you know, uh, uh, sort of quickly summarized. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and uh, it closed, sadly, because of financial reasons. Um, you know, Du Bois, I think, was struggling to raise money for a number of his projects and sadly closed down after 24 issues. Um, but really, its legacy has, has continued to live on and has, you know, uh, influenced a number of people, including myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so excited to be able to share uh, the magazine with, with the readers here. Thank you so much. That was a that was a really great summary. How did this special issue of Journal of the History of Childhood and Youth on the Brownies book 100th anniversary come about? Yeah, so um, I so again, I, I 
it's only recently kind of discovered the magazine in earnest um, through a conversation with another sociologist uh, by the name of Michael Murphy a few years ago. Um, you know, finally actually opened the pages of the magazine. And so it's, it's freely available online um, and you can find it uh, on the website for the Library of Congress. And, you know, it's just this immersive world and I was just stunned by what I saw. Um, and then a few years later, uh, closer to actually the start of the pandemic, um, knowing that we were getting close to the, uh, the centennial the publication of the periodical um, just had this idea that, you know, I would love to, um, you know, help introduce the magazine to new people um, to try to bring together um, a lot of talented uh, folks writing across disciplines just to share their thoughts on the magazine um, and uh, pitch this idea to the journal editor, uh, Linda Mahood, who's just been super supportive has really believed in the vision, you know, and I can't thank her enough for just believing, you know, in, 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 in the vision and in us. And, and it came together actually pretty quickly, I think, because um, Dr. Mahood, I think, understood that this was, you know, a magazine that deserved this kind of attention, but also because, uh, you know, we really wanted to try to get the issue out um, before the end of uh, 2021. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, was also coming together at a very hard time with the pandemic and um and you know it's i guess it's a it's a smaller uh it's on the smaller side for a special issue with only a few kind of original contributions um but i think you know I, i'm so lucky to have had a chance to work with um the uh you know the coat my, my 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 authors for uh the issue and uh dr mahood was also very generous in allowing me to curate for myself um, uh, the roster of authors. And so there, there was, there wasn't an open call or anything, but, okay. um, I had actually, you know, never, I, I still haven't met, uh, any of these people in person, <laughs> which is <laughs> That's you know, always strange. Yeah. Yeah. It, which is one of these funny realities of, mm -hmm. of doing this kind of work during a pandemic. Yeah. Um, but it was familiar with the work of, uh, Catherine Capshaw, um, Ebony Elizabeth Thomas, uh, Bridget Fielder and Crystal and Webster, um, you know, scholars uh, who write on Du Bois and uh, uh, children's literature um, and other related issues from a range of different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, I wanted to have fun with it and to make sure that we were spotlighting different disciplinary um, angles and mm -hmm. so people represented um, uh, from fields including education and comparative literature and history, um, in my case, sociology. And I think that's actually just evidence of how, you know, um, the Brownies book as this really just intriguing text um, draws the interest of so many different kinds of people. And for that reason, there's so many different ways of kind of, of interpreting it and, and making sense of why it mattered 100 years ago and continues to, to matter today. Great answer. Thank you. What surprised you the most while you were working on putting the issue together? What surprised me the most? Um, I think, you know, a, a, a few things, but, the, you know, the first thing that comes to mind um, is I, you know, the, the issue was, is really, and, and it's worth mentioning, is, is, is building on, um, you know, the pioneering work of, I think, a number of scholars and writers who, who've written on the Brownies before. 
and you know it's it's you know it's it's worth acknowledging who these folks are and uh, Rudine Sims Bishop and um, Michelle Martin and Violet Harris and Fern Corey, Diane Johnson Feelings, and I think I had a sense through their writings of what made the periodical so remarkable. Um, but I think you really need to sort of spend some time with it to, to sort of lose yourself in the magazine. Mm. Um, and I couldn't believe how much I was sort of learning each time I went through the issues. Um, and again, I think you just really need to see it's in front of you, the actual, you know, the, the scanned pages of the text, right, right. to see how, you know, the juxtaposition of images with, um, you know, the articles and the brain teasers with the games and um, trying to understand what it meant that so many incredible, you know, uh, black writers of the time, including, you know, a number of um, uh, leading figures uh, in the Harlem Renaissance uh, movement, uh, Langston Hughes, most notably, but also folks like James Weldon Johnson um, and Nella Larson Imes and Effie Lee Newsom. Um, you know, had their start um, uh, for some of them in, in the magazine, right? And here was a magazine that in so many ways inaugurated um, just this great thinking around black culture and helped to kind of encapsulate so much. Um, but it's really a world that's uh, sort of unspeakable in its own way because it's so joyous and captivating. Mm -hmm. um, I wish we had, um, you know, 10 more issues that we could have put out because there's so many different things that I think that we could have added to the special issue. Um, and so just to summarize here, I think I was just surprised by how um, I'm still learning so much about the magazine. And I think others will find that, you know, um, once you get into it, it's hard not to put it down mm. um, and to find so much that's relevant. relevant mm -hmm. I think, I think it, um, and I certainly haven't sat down and, and looked at the scanned pages of all 24 issues, but I have spent some time because it does sort of suck you in. Um, you, you know, you hear 1920s magazine for black right. youth and in my head, I'm like, okay, well, I'll look at that from a historical perspective, but then you start looking at it and reading it. And it really, you realize that it's something quite extraordinary and not yep. just like you would think kids magazine these days. Mm -hmm. Um, which kind of leads me to my next question, which is that in the introduction that you wrote for the issue, you talk about how the mix of genres in the Brownies book did not shy away from, you know, what we might consider mature themes. They addressed issues of violence and trauma and political activism, but at the same time, providing, as you said, games, fantasy stories, sort of feel good pieces on, you know, real kids and their lives. Do you think there's any pub publication today or platform a hundred years later that comes close to this fully integrated and authentic range of content for young people from any background? Yeah. Um, so I think there are a few ways of, of answering this question. One I, one I really appreciate. Um, and the first is to say that I think um, in some ways the, the magazine is uh, so contradictory because it has this combination of so many things I think one way of interpreting it is, is um, you know, others have kind of reflected on how the magazine, although explicitly geared to black children, um, was also one that was written for, for adults, right? And so if you can imagine, um, you know, in 1920, 1921, not only kids, you know, picking it up and, and um, playing the games and, uh, you know, much in the same way that children are doing the same thing today when they open a magazine that captivates them. Um, but also at the same time, you know, it's not hard to imagine a lot of 
uh, parents also sitting down with their kids to read the magazine or possibly right. even teachers, including it as something that they um, have in their classrooms too. And so um, I like to imagine just a lot of ongoing conversations uh, between kids when they're reading the magazine, but also between um, adults and older people in the magazine too. Um, and uh, Catherine Capshaw and others have called this a uh, form of writing, sort of cross-writing. It's really speaking to both kids, but also to, to older people. Mm. Um, and um, uh, to answer you know, your question, um, I, I will first say here, you know, I, my own training is in sociology and I don't, I'm not uh, by any means an expert on children's literature. And, and you know, there are folks who have uh, written extensively on this just incredible history of um, you know, uh, writing for black children that uh, even predates the Brownie books and certainly you know, a, a legacy of things that follow the magazine. Um, and I don't know of many contemporary examples, nothing sort of like this, mm -hmm. um, but there have been, you know, certainly efforts to try to do something like it. And, you know, one thing that comes to mind, um, was another magazine that, that only lasted for about 10, um, about 10 years, which was, uh, Ebony Jr. Mm. Founded in the early seventies as an outgrowth of Ebony magazine. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this is an important period, uh, in African-American, uh, political history, um, the early 70s and the twilight years of the civil rights movement. At around the same time, you have the emergence of the first um, uh, African-American studies and black studies programs and mm -hmm. black studies is sort of crystallizing as a discipline. And, um, you know, uh, people who are leading this movement, understanding that, uh, you know, a periodical uh, dedicated to black children um, was was needed. And, mm -hmm. and Ebony Jr., like the Brownies book, um, you know, combined uh, cartoons with short stories on uh, Black history and, and culture, um, had a very strong educational component to it, too. Um, and most recently, I, I was, uh, you know, actually in preparation for, for the interview, I, I wanted to, um, you know, to sort of scout what other people have been doing. And, and I saw um, that there is an effort uh, underway to, to create a, um, a magazine for Black children um, in the UK, started um, out of London. It's, it's called Coco Girl and Coco Boy. Oh, wow. And I think the, the goals are very much the same. Um, 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 uh, you know, the same as those of Ebony Jr., the Brownies book, which is to, you know, to provide a dedicated space to, to Black children to celebrate their accomplishments and to have a strong, uh, you know, teaching component to them too. And I think, you know, given that so much of uh, young adult literature, children's literature still, um, you know, racial diversity still continues to be, I think, a major problem in these fields. Um, uh, among the pieces in our special issue, Evan Elizabeth Thomas's piece really, you know, uh, covers this um, just beautifully, just the mm -hmm. need to diversify um, and think about representation. Um, and so it's a struggle that's ongoing. Um, but I think if we think about how um, it's a struggle that's been happening for a long time, we can look to history as a guide. Mm -hmm. The Brownies book has so much to offer. Um, yeah. I mean, just so ahead of its time um, in every way. And what, stri what strikes me every time I, I, I read more about it is how, because some of the content was, was reader submitted, you yeah. know, letters and stories, it's not just adults creating something 
aspirational. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's truly, it's footed in the lived experience and it's not shying away from that. And I think that's true for all children's literature and has been for all time that there's just this, sometimes there's just this disconnect that, you know, the grownups are creating the content that you are to read for whatever reason, to make you learn something or to make you, you know, more polite or to, you know, tell you things you could do when you were grown up. But this one was, it was just so um, ahead of its time in the sense that it said, yeah, here's some, all of that, but also here's some hard truths, but also here's some funny poem that a 12 year old wrote. I don't know. It just, it's so um, just, just full all the way around 360 degrees of their lives. And it just, I don't think that, that, that there's any publication that, that comes close to that. It just was so ahead of its time. Yeah. You know, and, and um, I, I see it very much the same way, you know, and I think certainly in sociology um, and, um, as someone who studies um, uh, childhood and youth, um, you know, there's a way certainly that a lot of scholarship and writing by, by adults, by researchers tends to frame uh, young people as adults in the making, mm-hmm. you know, as sort of on certain trajectories in life. And, and I think uh, this perspective is important because uh, if we think about it, then we can say, well, certain trajectories are um, you know, uh, foreclosed to certain populations, right? Mm-hmm. And who is allowed to grow to be something or someone. Um, but at the same time, you know, children um, aren't just preparing for life, you know, as mm-hmm. um, uh, my advisor um, in graduate school used to say, you know, childhood is life, you know, it's, it's full of a lot of things that, you know, adults might think uh, young people are immune to or are insulated from, but it's not the case at all, you know, childhood. And I have to say too, that I'm, I'm speaking here as the, the father of two, um, two small boys. And, and it's this incredibly beautiful, complicated, fraught, deeply, you know, emotionally evocative world. And I think the boys understood that. And, and mm-hmm. he and his team understood that, well, a lot of adults will read, the grownups will read the magazine and you have your dedicated corner and it's the grown-ups corner that's what mm-hmm. but but the the young people's contributions and their letters uh, were included in the section called the jury right i think mm-hmm. which sort of implies that um you know the final arbiter for issues that matter reside with young people in mm-hmm. this magazine right and that and word choice letters. is so key yeah exactly yeah and 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 some of the the letters by kids sent into the magazine are are just so um, you know, they're vulnerable, they're delicate, they're beautiful. Um, you know, the commentary there is, you know, worth, um, uh, a lot of discussion on its own. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. What, what's next for you? What are you currently working on, uh, research wise? Yeah. So I, um, so a lot of my work now, um, uh, focuses on sort of two different kind of, uh, uh, polls, um, the first is on uh, black masculinity and black feminism, and these are issues which I um, developed in my first my first book. Um, and I have a number of uh, research topics um, ongoing on W. E. B. Du Bois, um, and I've, uh, 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 some of this work was was included in uh, my own contribution, my modest contribution to the special issue on the place of childhood and trauma in the place of Du Bois's writings. Um, and uh, I've since uh, uh, um, tried to 
uh, sort of take part in a number of really important conversations for, uh, in sociology and uh, African-American intellectual history and politics on uh, decolonization debates and sort of thinking about how a lot of major disciplines like sociology are sort of grounded in uh, a colonial uh, and imperialist history and what that sort of means for how we think about knowledge and, mm. and access and opportunity in our own disciplines. Yes. Um, and I think Du Bois is very much an architect of that, um, that thread of, of thinking. Um, and so, you know, some of my writing now is kind of contributing to that really important conversation. Oh, I can't wait to read it. Thank you so much for your time today, Frieden. This has been such a great conversation. Yeah, of course. Thank you. This podcast is a production of Johns Hopkins University Press. For more information, please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals.